spoiler alert. We will be going through this with the knowledge of all the books and the movies, so just expect spoilers always. If you're listening to this and you want to save the plot twist and the ending, this is not for you. We figure you have all at least passed some of your owls. Welcome to the Time Turner, Harry Potter In-Depth. We're siblings who love Harry Potter. Hello. Hello. Today, Alyssa and I are covering chapters 15 through 18, the last couple chapters of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets on the time turner, Harry Potter in depth. We will be looking for foreshadowing, Easter eggs, themes, and talk about the big questions we have, particularly how any nuggets in these chapters tie to the end game. Before we make our way down the slippery slope to the chamber, Wilson needs to challenge our inner Professor Bins and remind ourselves what happened last episode. That was really good. (laughs) I tried, sorry. (laughs) I love it. Chapters 9 through 14 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets um, were some interesting chapters, albeit this is my least favorite book, so I didn't write that much. Cats and students, including Hermione, are getting petrified. We learn more about the Chamber of Secrets and Tom Riddle's memory via the Horcrux Diary, which shows Harry that Tom turned Hagrid in for opening the chamber 50 years ago. Seems very unlikely, but I guess that's what Harry believes at the time. Harry learns that he's a parcel mouth, and now everyone's scared of him. With all that's going on, the Ministry decides to send Hagrid to Azkaban, and the school governor's sacked Dumbledore. So now, let's grab our firebolts, dodge some bludgers, as we work our way through who scored and who fell off their broom. So in chapter 15, the mood is super grim at Hogwarts since Dumbledore left. He was sacked. Everyone's very depressed. Um, But the good news is that because Hermione was petrified, and I'll say good news because, like, she's not dead. We see her through the book. She lives a long life, I think, in non-canon Cursed Child. She's Minister of Magic, so she's safe. Good news is, because she's petrified, no one thinks it's Harry anymore. That opened the Chamber of Secrets. So Ernie, a Pufflepuff, notes that it's unlikely Harry would attack Hermione. So now he doesn't think Harry is the one petrifying everyone. Um, The boys, Harry and Ron, decide really good time to go follow the spiders her Hagrid's instructions um, before he left for Azkaban. And when they go out to follow the spiders in the Forbidden Forest, they find the old enchanted car. And they know, interesting, it lives here now. We meet giant spiders and poor Ron, who's scared of spiders. Um, I don't blame him. Those spiders, are, those spiders are fucking scary. Yeah, I would not say that I'm scared of all spiders, but... Um, I'm, I, I would say most. I would say like 98% of spiders. I mean, when they're really little, I don't really care. But these are huge. I mean, these are these are some big honking spiders. So um, I feel bad for Ron because he like he has like a phobia of spiders. Right. So anyways, the spiders... As, as, as we find out in a book, that they are actually his greatest fear. Yes, they are his greatest fear. Um, so he... <laughs> They see that the boys entered their area with Fang, the dog, and they grab them and they're going to eat them. Um, They bring them to Aragog, their leader, who gives the order for the spiders to kill the boys. But um, Harry 
very quick-witted, which he has some strokes of this occasionally. He shouts that they're friends of Hagrid, um, and Hagrid's in trouble. Aragog decides that was a reasonable explanation to at least avoid killing them for a quick moment. And he tells the boys that he, he, meaning Aragog, was supposedly the monster who came from the Chamber of Secrets and killed that girl. But he came from far away and Hagrid got him when he was a boy. He didn't kill the girl and Hagrid did smuggle him out and protected Aragog when, when Hagrid was expelled. Aragog says that the body of the girl that was killed was discovered in a bathroom and he's never even been to a bathroom. So couldn't have been him. Sounds like a very reasonable Green guy to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> he tells them that the monster that is, that is petrifying people, it's an ancient creature that spiders fear above all others and they don't even speak its name. Um, after this, it's not really a villain speech, which we have a lot of in Harry Potter, but it's like a monster speech. Like it's a nice long kind of monologue type thing. I do, I do like that we can differentiate between a monster speech and a villain speech. And that, that, I feel like there's also a nice little point in there how you know monsters are not necessarily villains, though Aragog kind of is, but he's I mean, not the He villain. doesn't really, if you were doing like a top 10 Harry Potter villains, which we should do at some point, he doesn't even get on my list. So no. he's not really a villain, but he- That's because you have Umbridge's cat probably is like number five, so you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, that's an exaggeration, but because um, <laughs> there's a lot of Death Eaters. <laughs> But Aragog doesn't even rank. I mean, he's an animal. So anyways, Aragog changes his mind. He gives a command for the spiders to eat Harry and Ron. Well, and I think it's actually kind of funny. He's like, well, you came all this way and my people need to eat. So like, how do I tell them that all this fresh boy meat can just walk away? So uh, they appear to be royally fucked. But then... The old car drives to them and saves them. And luckily, uh, I wrote this down because as we've discussed, I care a lot about this. The boys do remember to go grab Fang to get Fang in the car, which I appreciate because sure. I'm a big fan of big dogs and all dogs, but um, I would have been devastated if Fang was left to suffer with the spiders. Um, and then Harry puts together in his head that the girl who died in the bathroom may be Moaning Myrtle. Chapter 16. Thoughts about the Chamber of Secrets start slipping from Harry's mind when he's reminded that he has exams coming up. I get why Harry and his friends haven't been thinking about exams. You know, there's a monster running around the school. Dumbledore's been fired. They have more important things going on in their heads. As an academic, however, I do understand why the professors are like, no, we need to, you know, see what you learned this year. I do think the fair thing would be to at least, you know, give the students a decent curve. I have a feeling McGonagall and Snape have no intentions of giving the students a curve on their final exams, though. Alas. I do, I gotta say, though, that when McGonagall makes the announcement about Quidditch, there's an incredible passage where everyone's shouting what they hope it's about. And Wood shouts about how Quidditch is back. The rest of the school is like, Dumbledore's returned. The people who've been petrified are fine. The, the monster's been found. But Wood's like, I can play Quidditch again? Like, fuck everything else. Quidditch is way more important than, you know, people nearly dying around me. And I 
Gotta think, say that while it's crazy, I feel it. I think that this is like prepping the kids for real life because in real life, you have to think about work things or school things. And you know that you might die from a crazy monster beneath your living situation pretty much at all times. So I, I would say this is fair. Now I'm exaggerating, but it's not realistic to say that like, oh, exam time, it's all you can think about always. So I feel like this is prepping them for real life. I like it. I'll take it. There we go. Ginny approaches Ron and Harry in the Great Hall. And Ginny reminds Harry a lot of Dobby at the beginning of the book when Dobby is rocking back and forth and is trying to say something that he knows he's not allowed to say. Unfortunately, they do not find out whatever's on Ginny's mind as Percy interrupts and forces Ginny to run away. This is also when Percy thinks that Ginny is about to spill the secret about his little girlfriend. Oh, we're going to talk about this. Oh, we will be talking about that. Harry and Ron visit Hermione, where they find the book page that's been crumbled up in Hermione's hand. I can't say I blame the professors for not finding it, but also, like, maybe Madame Pomfrey should have found it. She's taking care of these people. Maybe, you know, you check to see what's in the hand. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy here. But with Hermione's notes, they realize that the monster is a basilisk and has been using the pipes to traverse the school. I really like how we do get some detective work from Harry here, though. We get to see how Harry, with Hermione's help, of course, realizes how everyone was attacked. He, you know, is able to picture the scenes and realize, oh, there's water. Mrs. Nora saw the basilisk in the water. And Colin saw through his camera, etc. You know, it's it's early signs of some of the detective work that will become very important for Harry as he continues in his magical education and as the hero of the story. Right, he becomes an auror Harry as and he Ron... gets older. Sorry. No, you're fine. Right, he he becomes an auror, which so he gets to continue this kind of detective thing he has going on. So it's nice to see even at twelve he had that spirit. Harry and Ron go to tell Professor McGonagall what they've learned when they overhear that Ginny Weasley has been taken into the Chamber of Secrets. The professors uh, try to convince Lockhart to enter the chamber, and then Harry and Ron go to Lockhart to try to give him the vital information. But Lockhart is packing up his books and explains how he stole all of his book concepts and modified people's memories so he could take credit. I know that Harry and Ron are, you know, emotionally distressed. They have a lot going on, but I feel like all the clues were there for them to realize that Lockhart was not going to actually help. Ron even said at the beginning of the book that Lockhart said he did all these things and there was no evidence that he actually did. And they overheard the other professors talk about how good this gets him off our back after Lockhart left when they uh, seemingly told him to go find the chamber and investigate. So it's kind of, I find it kind of interesting that they still thought Lockhart, it was worth going to Lockhart and helping him. But again, I get they're 12, there's a lot going on. This is still a professor. So they're, you know, maybe being a little bit more optimistic than, you know, we would necessarily be. Yeah, I think this is totally a byproduct of their age that 
I mean, there's still one little sliver of hope left in them that an adult right. is actually going to provide them with any kind of real assistance. Or like the first time in this book series that the adult would actually do what they hope. Yeah. Right. And when you think about it, it's like kind of a hilarious lesson that you have like in a in children's books back to back, you have two professors in a row. One is like objectively evil, like working with Voldemort. And then the other is, I mean, a food thief of other people's ideas and like knows nothing. And it, it's not a great lesson, I think, for telling kids like trust your teachers, right? Because right. <laughs> And then they have evil Snape, right? You have McGonagall who's trustworthy, but, and other good teachers, but it's not a great lesson when you think about it. But at the same time, I guess there's something to be said for not just automatically trusting adults. Right. Absolutely. Harry and Ron take Lockhart to the bathroom where they get the full, full story from Mooning Myrtle about her death, confirming their theory that the basilisk was the monster. They're able to open the Chamber of Secrets and they slide down into the entrance. Lockhart fakes the panic attack, fakes passing out. I don't even know how we want to describe it, but ends up erasing his own memory when he foolishly tries to use Ron's wand to erase the memory of the two kids. In doing so, he destroys the tunnel, creating a rock, rock wall between himself and Ron and Harry. And Harry is forced to go on alone. Very ill-advised, like super, super not smart. This did not work out for him at all. I mean, we we have our little intro to this segment of who fell off their broom. And funny enough, Harry almost fell off his broom a couple, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before. And like, we didn't even say anything about our segment title. But I think we can safely say here that Lockhart definitely um, fell off his broom, metaphorically speaking, in this it, set of chapters. Absolutely. And it, again, you know, in hindsight, you look back at it and you kind of think, well, did he ever pay attention in his own class? Like, if he ever saw Ron try to do a spell at any point this year, he would have realized this is a bad idea. This wand is unstable. So even so, it just kind of goes to show how little he paid attention to anything going on around him during this year. Chapter 17, Harry, our hero, enters the Chamber of Secrets, and um, it's just super creepy in there. Like, it's just objectively like creepy place. Um, but he finds Ginny, and she's laying there, and she's generally unresponsive. And he sees Tom Riddle, and Harry describes him as strangely blurred around the edges. And I think we'll talk about that. I don't think it's much of a stretch to be like, oh, this is a horcrux. Okay, <laughs> here's a nugget for the end game. Um, so I don't think we're like saying anything too interesting there that no one else has thought about if you've been read books once, but alas, it's there. Um, oh, hilariously, Harry asks Tom Riddle for help with Ginny and the monster. This is one of my favorite segments that one of my favorite podcasts for Harry Potter talks about a lot. Um, binge mode Harry Potter. They go on and on about my good friend Tom. And it's like a thing that they talk about. It's really funny because Harry is sitting there asking Voldemort for help because he's like so stupid that he, he thinks that he's his friend. Um, but 
It takes Harry a while to catch on, but he slowly realizes something isn't quite right with Tom Riddle. Um, he's really thick for a while. And I, from the book, I don't think you get it. We're in the Chamber of Secrets. We can talk later, which I think is just a really, really great way to <laughs> to explain how Harry thinks. And then um, in true Harry Potter fashion, we get another villain speech, which I love. Um, we learn that Ginny has been writing in the diary all year. Tom Riddle painstakingly uh, feigned sympathy to get her to um, talk more. And he fed off her soul, which is sad. Creepy. Yeah. Um, Tom tells Harry that he forced Ginny to open up the Chamber of Secrets to strangle the roosters um, and write messages on the wall, like the Chamber of Secrets has been opened, etc. He told Harry that Ginny became suspicious of the diary and threw it away. And um, Harry then found it. And Tom just had to meet him after Ginny told Tom all about Harry. He did mention from the book, only the transfiguration teacher Dumbledore seemed to think Hagrid was innocent um, when he was talking about what happened the first time the Chamber of Secrets was opened. Tom said he was bored now. He's totally over killing Muggleborns this time. Now he only wants Harry, but um, he has to understand first how Harry defeated Voldemort. And we get the big reveal um, that he's Voldemort, and we find out that he is the heir of Slytherin. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, big news. Um, <laughs> Harry comes out with his like classic Harry sass. And because Voldemort or Tom Riddle says something about he was the greatest sorcerer in the world. And Harry's like, uh, excuse me, uh, you're not the greatest sorcerer <laughs> in the world. Like that's Dumbledore. So that Dumbledore um, loyalty brings the Phoenix song and the Phoenix Fox who um, brought Harry the sorting hat and Riddle laughs because like straight up awful gift, like appearances at first, right? Like it's just first appearances, not, not the best possible gift to just get like a whole hat that talks. I mean, if I was in the Chamber of Secrets, I would not really be hoping for the hat, um, but <laughs> it comes. And as Riddle's doing his like villain speech and they're talking, Riddle's outline starts to become clearer and Harry starts mentally preparing for a fight. He then starts talking and he explains that his mother's protection is why Voldemort couldn't kill him when he was a baby. Um, and Harry insults, it, insults Voldemort a little bit. He says, I've seen the real you. I saw you last year. You're a wreck. You're barely alive. That's where all your power got you. You're in hiding. You're ugly. You're foul. She's really awesome. uh, going ribs, off on him. <laughs> ribs into him. I mean, how many people, like, people don't even say Voldemort's name. And Harry's sitting there like, you ugly. <laughs> you have a big butt. Like, <laughs> you're stupid. <laughs> and I think it's just really cool that Harry just doesn't give a fuck about any of this. And he, he truly uh, airs on the good side constantly he doesn't even think about like showing Voldemort any kind of deference he is just like tearing and ripping him a new asshole it is wonderful um but the battle begins 
And at first, it's it's not looking good for Harry. It's not looking strong, looking like he's going to die. Um, you have a 12-year-old boy. Like a sociopath and a gigantic snake. Yeah, I mean, I don't like snakes very much. Again, not like number one fear or anything, but not my favorite either. Um, so I, I, when you kind of read it back, you're like, ooh, this could have gone bad. But like... I mean, this is a seven book series, so it probably wasn't going to end there. Uh, <laughs> so um, <laughs> then we realized that Fox, the Phoenix, had destroyed the Basilisk's eyeballs, so it can't kill him on sight. So Harry's like, ooh, advantage. But at this point, Harry is still just totally trying to escape. Um, he's just begging in his head, help, help, help. He starts kind of saying it out loud, I think. And then um, the Gryffindor sword kind of falls out from on top from the hat that was like on top of his head. It kind of hits him in the head, which I think it's a really big sword. So pretty impressive that Harry is not like knocked out cold because he is a child. Um, so then Harry gets the sword and he manages to stick the sword in the basilisk's mouth, but the basilisk, basilisk got to him first a fang into his arm and Harry was in pain and he knew he was going to die. Um, very sad. Again, did not look very good for Harry, but um, he said something nice to Fox, something about like how, oh, it's like the very, it's like the Chris Jenner thing, like, oh, sweetie, like, oh, you're doing amazing, sweetie. Like he was like very, you did great. Um, <laughs> and he, he meant it, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like posing and playboy or anything but it, it was it was cute he was complimenting fox and then fox starts crying and then riddle realizes that phoenix tears have healing powers because harry's like oh i'm feeling better that's weird it doesn't feel like dying to me um and riddle explains it very conveniently so harry starts to regain strength and he's kind of like looking for something he's like oh what do i do you can kind of tell it's like oh something has to happen all right and then, where, where, where do i go now well well i recovered just to die again <laughs> um, but then fox brings harry the diary which whoa smart bird and we've talked a lot about all the fears that i have but not my number one phobia but i will leave it to ken to tell you all what my number one phobia is well Alyssa's number one phobia would 100 percent be uh birds Right. Any kind doesn't matter. A bird, and she is the other way. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm petrified of birds. I like can't even get out of the car if there's a bird anywhere around me. I probably need some kind of intervention. But I've I've made it this long. Um. So yeah, I don't. I mean, fox. I guess I would like probably maybe most birds. No, definitely. I mean, that's number one on my list. Um, from the book. Then without thinking without considering, as though he had meant to do it all along, Harry seized the basilisk fang on the floor next to him and plunged it straight into the heart of the book. Then Tom Riddle's ghost memory thing is gone. So we just kind of hit our climax in the book and now we're gonna mellow out, I guess, because Ginny wakes up, she starts blabbering, she's so upset, she can't, you know, she's just trying to explain everything. Um, they start to go back. They find Ron. Ron is super relieved, obviously, that his sister's okay. And Harry kind of gives the short explanation of Fox. Um, and 
Lockhart's memory charm had backfired, as Ted mentioned before, so he lost his memory. And uh, Fox then sort of, like, offers to carry them out of the chamber. So, like, it was this weird, I, you kind of can picture it in, in real life, you try, where, like, Fox is, like, kind of, like, throwing his leg out. Like, <laughs> like here's a leg. And I, the, Harry somehow is, like, I think Dumbledore, I think he's made thought, oh, Dumbledore said they can carry a lot. And he, like, tells Ron to I'm sure off. they can carry four humans. As a, like, I have a dog who I, I'm sure these, anyone listening to this now has heard about Lily, like, a thousand times. But she, like, puts her leg out all the time. She does not want to carry me. She wants hugs <laughs> and pets and scratches. So I would not have rent a leg out to me. I'll carry you. In fact, I should try with Lily and see what she does. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. She'll give me so much sass for that. So um, they do grab hold of Fox, and Fox carries them back up in the bathroom. And I, it's not significant enough to ask, but do we think that J.K. Rowling was like, hmm, how did they get out of the chamber? And then so she wrote in a line like 10 chapters ago when Dumbledore was like, yeah. Phoenixes can also carry a lot. And then you're like, okay, Fox will take them back up because she didn't like build in any stairs or anything. I don't know. I think it's convenient. Absolutely convenient. It also makes you wonder, there have been other people down in this chamber before. How, how did they get out? There must be a way out, right? Because, you know, Slytherin's been down there. We know Tom Riddle was down there when he was in school. How, how did they get out of the chamber? But we're never told that. So yeah, I kind of agree. It seems like something you throw in and be like, everyone just, just buy it, okay? This you know, small little bird can carry a human and three children and don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine they're super rare, but still I, convenient for the storyline. But to finish up with this chapter, um, Myrtle is so sad that Harry lived which is very funny and she she was totally hoping for like a roommate lover uh and then they go to McGonagall's office Ginny and Ron and Harry and that ends chapter 17. Chapter 18 when they enter McGonagall's office they notice that the Weasley parents and Dumbledore are there as well. Harry tells the group the story of what happened but tries to leave Ginny out of it. He makes never to. He doesn't bring up the diary. He doesn't bring up Ginny's involvement. Despite everything that happened, he still is trying to protect Ginny. He doesn't want her to get in trouble for the actions she unwittingly, unknowingly committed on Riddle's behest. We get an incredible line from Arthur Weasley after they find out that the diary was doing this to Ginny. And he says, "Never trust anything." that can think for itself if you can't see where it keeps its brain. And that's an all-time line. It's the fact that they live in a world where there are things that can think for themselves you to be able, and you have to be like, huh, um, excuse where me. does it keep its brain? Does it AI, probably? our entire world is becoming things that can think that we can't see their brain. All right, They're sure. They're going to take all of our jobs, these robots. In the in the 1990s, when this story takes place, there wasn't quite as much AI as there is now. And I like to try to think of myself as having read this back then. So I'm going to maintain sure. my anti-AI take 
for this one. Thank okay. you very much. Well, you're not living in this universe, <laughs> but that's all right. Clearly not. Uh, Jenny gives us a great hint about Lucius Malfoy's involvement in this whole plot when she mentions that she found the diary in the cauldron with all of her books from Diagon Alley, and she just didn't question it, which, you know, is nice to see that it's a nice kind of hint for the reader to say, hey, remember that this happened, and we'll see it come back again in a couple pages. All the petrified victims are awoken, and Ginny is not punished, but goes to the hospital wing for some hot chocolate. Harry and Ron get awards to the school, 200 points apiece, which is a fucking lot. Like, I'm pretty sure that's more points than we see divvied out at any other point in the book series. And they uh, do not get expelled, going against Dumbledore's promise that he'd have to expel them if they committed any more school violations. Yeah, that was dumb. I mean, yeah. super dumb because um, the word, like any school violations, I mean, what they were going to expel him if Harry, like, got detention, was out didn't two do minutes after curfew. Like, come on. Right. And also, considering everything that Dumbledore knew at the time about Harry and Voldemort, there's no way Dumbledore would actually let Harry just leave Hogwarts and go back to the Muggle world. Super empty threat. Super empty right. threat. Like the most emptiest of the threats. Absolutely. I wonder what he would have done, actually, now. Hmm. Interesting question for us to never know the answer to. We do know the answer because Harry breaks school rules every single year and Harry never gets, never gets expelled. Well, no, the threat goes away now that he saved the school. It's a blank, it's a blank slate. It all starts over. That, that's how that works, I'm sure. Dumbledore shows that he knew all along about Lockhart's secret and that he knew that he had been falsifying his uh, attributes and the great deeds he accomplished and stealing them from other wizards, which, again, you know, goes back to a point we've made numerous times about how could Dumbledore let someone like Lockhart actually teach at the school and how I think it's really funny that Dumbledore knew all along what Lockhart was actually up to. Dumbledore explains to Harry that he has some of Voldemort's own abilities, including uh, parcel mouth, a great uh, hint to the fact that there is a part of Voldemort actually inside of Harry in the form of the Horcrux. Lucius Malfoy appears, and by his side, we see no other than Dobby, confirming who Dobby works for. And in a rare instance of Ron being right from the get-go, turns out that Dobby does work for the Malfoys. However, it was not a joke that Draco put Dobby up to to try to get Harry to not come back to school. Dobby essentially tells Harry that Lucius is behind the attack. And to be honest, he's not being very subtle about it. I feel like anyone would be able to figure out what's going on, and what Dobby's trying to say there. Harry accuses Lucius Malfoy of being behind it. And while Dumbledore diffuses the situation, he essentially confirms that he knows this as well. So Dobby is now a free elf, and Hogwarts tries to return to normal. Hagrid returns from Azkaban, and the entire group finds out Percy has a girlfriend in the form of Penelope Clearwater. And thus ends 
Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So, now let's stir the cauldron and sip on some tea. What are our big questions or hot takes for chapters 15 through 18 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? Well, the first ridiculously hot take, as I say with all the people I don't like, is um, Tom Riddle is a Death Eater. For Tom sure. Riddle Death Eater! Yeah, he's definitely a Death Eater. Um, actually, I, was, I, I thought I was being all cute with that. Would Dumbledore's not, I mean, double, Jesus Christ, Voldemort, <laughs> Voldemort's not really a death eater, right? He's like, no, right. Like he would never be considered a death eater. Like he's, he's, I mean, I think one of the twins in the like Harry Potter radio show calls him uh, the chief death eater or something like that, but mm-hmm. he's not really. So I guess me, me joking that, well, I think Tom Riddle is probably a death eater because he's evil is probably also wrong. Like all my other <laughs> statements. But I, right, I actually I think... have a real question. Yeah, go for it. Do you think anyone ever explained to Myrtle that she was actually killed by the like monster of Slytherin? I mean, I feel like for her, it would make her so like self-important. Like it would be really validating for her that she was killed she was like the unique person killed by the monster of Slytherin and Voldemort like wow what a what an honor yeah I'd like to think that someone eventually tells her though it's pretty clear that no one ever talked to her about it preceding this incident the way that she so eagerly wants to talk to Harry and Ron about how she dies makes it clear, at least to me, that no one ever took the time to talk to her about it. And I feel like if someone did, they would have gotten some uh, pretty big hints about where to look for the monster. Like, she really lays out what happened, you know? The sinks start overflowing. She sees something come up from them, and she sees these big eyes approach her. Like, okay, we can start to piece some shit together from that. Why didn't no one actually ask her, hey, what happened to you? This seems like a wild, um, a really, really wild oversight issue. Like, how Mm -hmm. did Dumbledore... Like, I feel like, especially after Endgame, right, where we learned the whole thing with Ravenclaw and the Bloody Baron and the diadem, I... I mean, I know Harry has the thought with Ravenclaw, like, oh, Dumbledore was like a goody two-shoe, so she never would have told him. But I feel like time is ripe to have a conversation with every castle ghost and be like, okay, what's your story and what do you know? Because you must have seen a lot of shit in your day and since you are a ghost. Mm -hmm. But I also wonder, like, with the portraits, which I think the portraits of, like, the past Hogwarts headmasters, some of the most fascinating magic, just portraits in general. And I think, I don't know if this is, like, a fan theory or they say it. I think they say it, but they really can only answer direct questions. Like they, if the headmaster asks, right, I think so. What do you think? They'll answer, but they're not just going to like offer advice willy nilly. So, um, I f- wonder if ghosts are the same way, like their, their mentality or like the way they, they live. They're not just, I mean, think about this. If you had a ghost following you around for your seven years at school, would you really want them reporting on everything you've done ever? Probably not. Right. Well, and I think it's interesting because even back in the first book, 
we get a line where someone asked uh, nearly headless Nick what happened to the bloody Baron. And Nick says, I've never asked. Like, if someone had asked him what happened to him, like why he is what he is, why he's the bloody Baron, he might have, you know, ex- explained what happened to him. And then the connection between him and Ravenclaw would have been clear. That may not have necessarily explained everything with the diadem, but I feel like it's, it is an oversight that no one seemingly talked to the bloody Baron about why he's bloody or why he's dead. Yeah, I, like I said, oversight problem for sure. I can't believe in all Dumbledore's like 150 years or whatever, he never thinks, oh, I should ask some ghosts some questions. Maybe that would explain the most evil wizard of our time who went to this school and maybe they saw something. But alas, I have another question and I think this is, it's not really legal in nature, but how is it legal that you can read people's minds? Like, how is that a thing that is it legal or is it not because Hagrid should have been exonerated if that was a legitimate method used to obtain evidence in his hearing to be expelled why couldn't someone just read his mind and be like oh you didn't do it okay or given him truth serum he probably wouldn't want that because he wouldn't have wanted to say what he was actually up to but still, oh, I actually had a used. giant spider baby, and I was hoarding right. it in my room. <laughs> but like, he's not killing anybody, so it's okay. But you don't go to Azkaban for that, you know. So, um, I, I guess I came to the conclusion it must not be admissible in a court of law because if it was, we would be seeing it all the time, and in all the court cases we saw in Goblet of Fire, and the same with Truth Serum, you would think we would see that more. So they must have determined it's unethical. I don't think either Alyssa or I consider the uh, Fantastic Beasts movies canon, but one of the characters in there is particularly adept at reading people's minds. And if I recall correctly, it's a, they make it out to be that it's hush-hush, that she's not supposed to do it, that she's not allowed to talk about it. Oh, is it so like a secret that makes me power? think it's illegal. I kind of think so based on that, but I can't pretend to be an expert on those movies because they're, you know, not worth it. Yeah, it's interesting because Harry is 12 in this book and he probably doesn't even think anything of it because he's brushing elbows with all these powerful wizards that can do this easily. So he probably just thinks, oh, everybody can read minds. Um, But I guess at this time, we don't know Dumbledore can. He gets a feeling that Dumbledore can read his mind or look into him. We do know that Voldemort in the first book um, knows when he's being lied to. So I guess it's not really well developed in book two, but we do know over time, this is a thing that very powerful wizards can do, including Snape. Um, but I was just wondering on the legalities. Yeah. No, it's it's really, right. It's really order where you see this concept start to become unfolded a little bit more. So on a similar note though, let's talk for a second about Obliviate, the memory eraser charm. Should this be, do you, should this be considered a, highly dangerous and illegal spell 
it seems that the kinds of thing that like, unless you're a ministry witch or wizard doing this for, you know, to, to uphold and secrecy, you probably shouldn't be allowed to do this, right? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> I, wonder, I just wonder if we were on the same page on that. Like, should this be, like, this has to be an illegal spell. Like, I'm not sure if it should be up there with the unforgivable curses, but there should be yeah. some punishment. I, I mean, it sh- I think it's unethical, and I we see Hermione do it, and I feel like Hermione is like my compass, right? She does that. We don't actually. We don't see her do it. We know she did it because she said it. Um, I think taking someone's does she say obliviate in that? I don't think she she tells them. She tells the boys she did it. I don't think we see her doing it. In the movies, you do, but movies don't count. We will. I thought in, this. we'll get to this when we get to Deathly Hollows. But I thought. I thought that she does it to the Death Eaters in the coffee shop. Oh, you're shop. right. I was thinking about her parents. She you're changes right. She does memory. it. Maybe that's she different. does it to the Death Eaters in the in the cafe in London. You're right. She does it. I was thinking about the parents. Um, but I know Hermione right. like stops caring about laws once they are on the run. But I I do think taking someone's memories, um, is a really awful thing to do, and I think that. I get why it's not an unforgivable, like why it's not a top three, but I feel like it should be like a top 10. Sure. Top 10 works with me. I'm going to call it a top 10 bad curse. Okay. Um, I think we can agree to disagree. No, I'm just kidding. We agree. It's top 10 bad curse. It's like a felony. It's not a misdemeanor, <laughs> but it's not like an automatic capital punishment. That's where it falls. On a lighter note, um, I, what on earth was Percy doing? Because um, I know Ginny says, well, he didn't want me to talk to you because he was kissing his girlfriend. But like, I feel like that is a very insufficient explanation for why Percy, I mean, Percy's is, I don't know what year he is yet, but he's at least what, 15, 16, he's old. So yeah, why would he care if he was just kissing? I think it was more than kissing. I think that's something Pinky Pinky was going on. Yeah, it does seem a little strange. Then again, um, I think Percy's in his sixth year at this point, and Fred and George are in year four, Ron's in year two, Jane's in year one. So maybe, you know, if we try to put ourselves back in those ages, it, it'd be a little bit different. You don't, you know, maybe when you're 16, you don't want your. 12 year old brother or your 11 year old Probably sister not. to know anything you're doing. Fair enough. But I don't know. Um, fair enough. And I also took a quote from the book, which I'm noting for two reasons. One, it's a major Horcrux clue, major, major foreshadowing. And the second is that the quote is hilariously dirty. And so I'm going to read from the book. It's like only a couple words. Voldemort put a bit of himself in me. Woo. Oh, la la. Yeah. I mean, wow. Okay. Yeah. But that's, I mean, we know that that's a Horcrux clue. And I think it's the closest we really got to 
what actually happened, which is Voldemort did actually put a piece of his soul inside Harry. Um, mm-hmm. But it was kind of a funny way to say it, to, you know, in the, the post-dramatic um, debriefing with Dumbledore. Right. And staying on this, you know, um, Horcrux-related foreshadowing we get, Harry uses the sword of graphic of Godric Gryffindor to kill the Basilisk, which embeds Basilisk venom inside of the sword, making it one of the few object, objects that Harry can later seek out and try to use to destroy Horcruxes in Book 7. So, you know, me and Alyssa have talked previously, both publicly and privately, about how a lot of this book is fluff and not the greatest and how it may not be a favorite book. But here's just more thing that without this book would have created a lot of problems later because they needed that sword to kill multiple Horcrux. And they needed the, the fang from the basilisk to kill the cup horcrux they use that rod open the chamber secrets in in deathly hollows so there are a lot of easter eggs Mm -hmm. in this set of chapters i just think that they're kind of obvious so it's when we're talking about them i don't think we're like it's not such expert reading that we're finding stuff that no one else no no but i i think there's still some of the things that when you go back for your second, fifth, hundredth read, you make a bigger note of than you would have previously. You know, I don't remember my second read through Chamber of Secrets, but I have to imagine reading it through. You think, oh, okay, this is this became way more important than I thought it was. Like the dead basilisk down here in the chamber actually matters five years later. Not something I certainly would have predicted when first reading Chamber. Yeah, I like one of my favorite parts or favorite things about Deathly Hollows in the ending is how it really does pull from all the books. And they're like we said, they're the fangs, there's the sword, there's the sorting, there's the Horcrux clues, there's all sorts of things in here. Even meeting, I mean, Dobby, this is Dobby's book and Dobby becomes imperative to Harry winning this war. So it's an important book. I just think that it's my least favorite book. Yeah. My, and I think I said this last time, but my opinions of it as a book have gone down on this read. Um, I found I just didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to rereading it this time, but not every book can be your favorite and that's okay. Well, we're, we're going to get some pretty good ones. Right. Exciting about finishing this book is that because we're on to Prisoner of Azkaban, which I really love and I'm yeah, excited I, to get. I think it's down. my favorite. And I think that I will end my thoughts by sharing that one of my dog's favorite toys is this green um, snake that's made out of like fire hose material that our parents got her. And it's like supposed to be indestructible. She's had it for years and we have called it the basilisk for years. So I think that um, we will have to post a picture of this basilisk in honor of this episode on our Twitter and Instagram at TimeTurnerPod. So with that, I think we have finished Chamber of Secrets on the Time Turner Podcast, Harry Potter In Depth. 
Ken and I look forward to hearing from you. So subscribe, give us reviews, connect with us on social media, and we will be back for Prisoner of Azkaban. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you take your full Mandrake potion if you haven't already. 